0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, business growth strategist, coach, mentor, and consultant. And today, I have an awesome guest. He's an entrepreneur, podcast host of Buy, Grow, Sell, and the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group where he helps business owners understand how to maximize company value and capture the rewards they deserve after being in business themselves. He has over 20 years experience in the finance, investment, energy, and technology sectors, including having started, bought, and exited companies. He has earned an MBA and his passion is helping business owners build value in their companies for a successful exit. Welcome, Simon Bedard, and thank you for being on my show.
1: All right, and thanks for having me, mate. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be so much value for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, uh, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey.
1: Yeah, sure, mate. Um, look, I'll try to give you the abridged version, but um, look, I started my my working life in the investment space, um, you know, really helping people understand how to grow value, Um you know it's the classic old thing you want to put a dollar into something and you're going to want to get 2 dollars out later well something needs to happen in between for that to actually eventuate right and so i was always fascinated with with investment and how to to sort of drive value from those investments and and look, you know, I guess I'm one of these kind of people who thinks that that business, whilst you may be very, very passionate about it, is is fundamentally just another asset and another investment. Um, if you happen to love what you do and you're passionate about it, well, that's a bigger bonus and maybe you'll probably be better at it again. But, um, you know, it's, it is still an asset and it is still something that you need to derive value from. And so um, I spent the first half of my life. Uh, Dealing in that investment space, I helped build a company up from virtually nothing to 140 employees. We raised, you know, had over a billion dollars invested. I think we had about 750 under management when I left. Um, I spent time in institutional banking over at ComBank, dealing with high net worth, um, large scale investments, lots of different interesting things. Um, Before I then went out on my own again and just um, really um, got into the environmental space, you know, started a company, was building it bought into another business, built it further, um, sold out of it. You know, I've I've run divisions for other large multinationals. So, you know, run a number of companies in solid kind of eight-figure turnover sort of space. Um, And, you know, ultimately, I guess, having been on all of that journey, what we really sort of saw out in the market was this kind of gap for a lot of business owners. And I think we've all heard the statistics, right? That, that you know, the small, small to medium business is the backbone of the country. And, you know, it employs so many of the majority of people in the country and all these sort of really important statistics. And so on the back of that, there's a lot of people telling you how to get into business. There's a lot of people telling you how to grow a business. But I always kind of think that we kind of get things around the wrong way because, you know, fundamentally, we all exit our business one day, whether we like it or not. And I just think there's not enough people thinking about, what does the end game need to look like right you know it's it's if you're going to retire you're going to do something one day you're going to need to you know you need money you need to be able to do things in your life what does this business need to deliver to give you the life you want um has is kind of i guess a missing piece in the puzzle for a lot of people and so we just saw that as a real issue we saw a lot of business owners running this big marathon Um, of of life in business and then kind of tripping over in that last 100 meters and not finishing well. And so, you know, that's kind of the big problem that we want to solve. Um, We want to help business owners really capture the kind of value they deserve for taking all the risk and putting in all the work that they do because, you know, they're pretty unique humans.
0: Yeah. Love it, mate. Uh, awesome history there and background that you've got, um, you know, what you've delivered. And then, yeah, now to to help business owners really, um, yeah, maximize the asset value when they uh, do want to move on to new pastures. So, you know, obviously most people um, start their own business from scratch, you know, um, but while we can also acquire a business to start, right? So do you want to maybe share, you know, what the pros and cons are of acquiring a business, you know, instead of starting
1: it from scratch? Yeah, cool. It's actually a really great question. And it's, and it's not just the, the, that question is not just something you should pose to yourself when you're, when you're getting into business. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got, um, sorry about that, mate. my phone ringing. So apologies, everyone. Um, my, I, it's not just a question you should ask yourself when you're getting into business. It's a question you need to ask yourself when you're trying to grow business right? Because you can grow your business organically, you can do marketing and sales and delivery and keep growing and try to capture more market share, or fundamentally, you can go and acquire other companies for growth as well. So, you know, really, you want to grow a business, whether from startup or, or you're already on the way, you've really only got two levers, you build or you buy. Or if you're a little bit ambidextrous and you're a little bit talented, maybe you do a bit of both, right? So I, I, I do stress that point because growth via acquisition is really important. So now, what's the difference? Why, why would you consider both strategies? Um, fundamentally, the reason that you would look to buy a business over doing it, st- doing a startup or growing organically is, is usually around speed. Right? It's how quickly you want to get where you want to go. Um, and, and you do want to think about some of the market dynamics. So, for example, if I go and buy a company that's turning over a couple of million right now and spitting out half a million in profit, um, Yes, I'm going to have to spend a lot of money up front to buy that business. They're going to expect a good price for that business. It you know, obviously sounds like a good business. But you've got a functioning business with a proven model and existing customers. And it's you know, in a lot of ways, you are de-risking your investment in that business or your investment in your business, right? Because it's, it is proven. Um, and so you know, let's say that costs you a couple of million bucks to buy into that business. Well, that's great. You know, a lot of people will say, well, hang on, I don't want to spend all that kind of money. I'm going to go the organic route, which is absolutely fine. But just keep in mind, generally speaking, you're probably going to have to invest a lot of money anyway. It's just you're going to invest it over maybe a slower period of time. You're not going to invest it all up front. So so that's one of the biggest factors that that comes into play when people are thinking about whether to build or buy. Um, The other thing I would just sort of say too is um, sometimes it comes down to, business model and um potentially product and skills uh, product or service sets as well so let's just say for example um i own a company that sells tables uh and down the road i find a guy that has a business that sells chairs um well everybody can see that those two businesses brought together have a lot of synergy right and obviously i'm giving a pretty dumb example here just to make the uh, make the example obvious but you know looking for synergies looking to bring on new products and services. Well, acquisition can be a fantastic way of doing that. Um, And and I think if you look at traditionally how a lot of businesses work, most people get into business or they start a company because they're good at something. You know, pick one thing, they're really, really good at it. You know, I'm I'm fantastic at building and selling widgets. Well, okay, that's great. Well, (laughs) often what happens is business owners then wanna start offering new products to their customers. But, you know, the the, the Splunket or whatever other product you want to introduce, and I'm just coming up with random things again, you may not be as good at building those other products as you were you call one. So acquiring a business that is actually an expert in that other product or service means that you, you skip that learning curve. You skip all the risks, all the potholes, all the dramas, and you're hopefully introducing best practice straight into your business. So once again, it's the shortcut. But, you know, you're opening up a whole range of opportunities for you in terms of products, services, potentially even geography, right? You know, you're really great at your business. And, and I see this a lot in professional services. You now, we're an architecture business. Brilliant. We're really good in a few areas and we're based in Sydney. Well, you know, maybe buying a company in Melbourne or Brisbane gives you that footprint immediately to be able to ply your trade and your expertise in a new area. So lots of advantages. Um, to buying over building um certainly in my opinion um yeah the real question is just funding it um and and you know you could probably do another entire podcast on funding businesses
0: (laughs) yeah definitely mate love that so many um amazing points there and and things to consider you know and and you know like you said it's a lot about speed um in those areas there about how you want to do it and and get to where we want to be faster and i guess um you know from that, when, you know we've got our business, um, whichever way we we did it, um, and then we're obviously wanting to grow the value, right, of our business mm-hmm. to to make it as valuable as possible. So, um, do you want to maybe share some ways that we can do this that help you know
1: the business to be valued more? Yeah, for sure. So, first of all, I think let's let's just take it back one little step here because most. People, I think the key word that most people are going to latch onto here is grow, right? Or growth, business growth. Um, what I want to do is challenge your listeners here to rethink how they consider business growth. Because I think if you ask most people, what does business growth mean to you? They'll tell you it's more revenue and possibly more profit, right? We want to grow those financial metrics, which is awesome. And that's definitely an important thing to to growth. But what I'm kind of proposing to business owners is that there is an additional component to this. You know, I think we should be thinking about more than just revenue and profit. We should be thinking about value. And and why, what does value mean? Well, look, at the end of the day, I've had customers, you know, clients of ours who've said, um, you know, they've told us where they want to get to with their life. And we're trying to shape a business to deliver that life goal. Now, going out and doubling the amount of revenue you're getting can be pretty darn hard, right? Like I think anybody listening to this is in business would would recognize that. Whereas sometimes you can achieve the same level of growth by improving things inside your business that make the quality of your earnings better, more valuable, right? So we're talking about quality over quantity here. Now, once again, you know, if you're ambidextrous and you can do both things and improve quality and quantity, well, double win, right? So, but let, let me talk a little bit more about what, what I mean by quality and how we assess that. And, and really it comes down to how do you value a business, right? Because once again, we all exit one day. Even if you don't want to sell your company one day, you want to hand it down to the kids, you should be thinking about, well, what's the business worth? In, in actual fact, Athan, if, if I was to tell, when I talk to business owners, I am always saying to them, if there was one metric in your business that tells me whether or not you have really grown or not, it's actually your company valuation, right? And and let's be honest here. There's a reason that public share prices are the most publicized numbers on the planet, right? They're the most talked about. They're the most publicized. You ask people about the... Uh, The Dow Jones and the ASX, everybody knows what that is, right? Everybody knows what it is because everybody understands this concept of we're tracking the value of shares, which is ultimately about the value of those companies. So how does a private business owner who's not listed on a stock exchange take those principles and apply them in their business? First step is to understand how most businesses are valued. Right? And, it's, and it's pretty simple. Um, there are lots of different methods, by the way, and I'm not going to get too technical today, but I, I want to share the one method that is the most commonly used in most businesses we see, and that is a multiple of what I'm going to broadly call profit. Um, it's actually an adjusted EBITDA number and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to get all technical and financial today, but just think, act, uh, you know, adjusted profit times a number gives you the value. All right Now, most people with a little bit of help can work out what that actual profit number is, but most people don't really know what that multiple number sh- should be. Or they've been told by somebody along their journey who's put the thumb to the wind and gone, oh, geez, you're in manufacturing. That means your number is a 3.5 to a 4 maybe, which industry averages are um let's just say they're a piece of the puzzle they're not the whole picture like of course there's been enough businesses sold to come up with an average but if you are simply applying a general average to your business what you're pretty much saying is i'm average i'm the same as every other company in the industry which we know is not true right we know that there are companies that outperform we know that there are companies that underperform so you need to dig deeper to get to the heart of what your multiple number is so how do we do that well there's a bunch of factors and look, and I won't list all of them off today, cause I'll probably talk everyone's ears off, but there's things like, it's, it's it's all qualitative stuff, right? Qualitative stuff around your financials. What is the story your financials are telling me? Cause I can tell you right now, a company that's achieved 20% year on year growth is gonna probably have a better multiple than a company that's kind of done this volatility. We made money, we lost money, we made money, you know? Um, The story around your financials is really, really important. The quality of those earnings is really important. What other factors come into play? Well, I want people to think about risk versus return here, right? What metrics in your business talk um, or or suggest or propose an enormous growth opportunity? Um, What is that growth opportunity and how how do we measure it? The other side is risk. What risk is there that your current business is not going to continue achieving the same level of profit that it is now? I'll give you some good examples. Concentration risk is a really big one in most businesses. So what do I mean by that? Well, we like to look at your suppliers, your customers, and your employees, and we'll be saying, are you too heavily dependent on any one of those three parties? So, and I'll give you a great example. Um, there's a chap, Rick Day. He, um, he had an interesting telco business turning over about 26 mil, but 75% of his revenue came from selling the products from one supplier, right? So when he went to sell, the buyers went, wow, hang on, that's a lot of risk. Like if that supplier has a problem and goes broke, you're dead, your your business is gone. Now, okay, it was a pretty large company supplying them, but still there's risk there, right? What What if that company simply changes its trading terms that are not in your favor? Like it could wipe out margin, right? So you're massively exposed to that particular supplier. Same thing with your customers, right? I'm always saying to my customers, a little bit of a it is a little bit of a rule of thumb here, people. So don't hold me to uh to you know hold my feet to the fire in your own business. Um, but I would say when I'm looking at a business, if your largest client represents 15% or more of your total revenue, then I've got a bit of a red flag already starting to go up. If it's at 25% or more, mate, it's, I've got red lights flashing and, you know, I've, that's a real warning to me. Of course, if you get up to 50%, well, mate, you know, you can probably hear the air raid sirens and uh, <laughs> we're all running for the hills. So, you know, that's massive, massive risk in your business. That one customer falls over, half your business is wiped out. Who wants to buy that? Right? Who wants to take on that kind of risk? Not a lot of people. Right. Now, there are, there's always exceptions to the rule, and I'd be very happy to explain some of those. If you are in that situation, there are ways to turn this to your advantage, but that's for another day. Um, of course, the final one in all of that is your employees. Um, you know, we all know KFC's 11 Herbs and Spices, right? Well, if, you're, if you, one of your customers, uh, sorry, one of your employees um, knows all the 11 Herbs and Spices, or they're the only one who can really contribute one or two of the 11 Herbs and Spices to your business, Well, then that could be a problem too, right? Like what happens if that person, everyone talks about getting hit by a bus. I'd rather be more positive. What if that person won the 100 million lotto tomorrow and decided not to come back, right? You're going to be in a pickle. So, you know, you've got to think about where does risk sit in your business and how can you start to mitigate that both for yourself or any prospective acquirer?
0: Yeah, awesome, mate. Thanks for delving really deep into that and and breaking that down because I'm sure it's really powerful and, I think one thing that was you know, sparking my thoughts as well in that thing was about you know, maximizing our business value and probably <laughs> also in terms of like, I guess the business model and the revenue models and things like that as well. So do you want to maybe share just a little bit about like you know, what can help us in how we're, we're structuring? Yeah, um, our business For together?
1: sure, for sure. Well, you picked on one thing there, revenue model. So I'll touch on that a bit further. Um, come on, when we're talking about value, the, the, the reason we talk about value is because we're saying, well, what would somebody be willing to pay for your business, right? And, and I come back to this element of risk is that a buyer of your business, and this is a really important point for everyone to take home, is that a buyer doesn't actually care that you won an award and that you were the, you know, you've got the shiniest brand and the best logo and all that stuff. They really are buying your future stream of revenue and ultimately profit, right? And then all they're doing is simply assessing the risk that that future revenue and profit will not eventuate. Right, or that they can't continue to grow it. So, how do you alleviate that concern of risk? Well, you give them a sense of reliability around it, right? And revenue models is a really, really good one. Everybody's heard of SaaS businesses. Everybody's probably subscribed to at least one or two SaaS models of some sort, even if it's your Netflix, right? So a nice subscription model says we're taking not your paying. We are taking our monthly fee from your credit card. It is a contract and we will keep doing that until you basically tell us to stop doing it and probably do it in writing and confirm it three times, right? (laughs) Because they like to make it a little bit challenging and a bit sticky. Um, Recurring revenue models are reliable. They're consistent. You can understand and assess the cost of acquiring customers you can measure the churn rate of customers, how often they're dropping off, what percentage of your customers are dropping, how many do you need to replace it. There's so many great metrics that can be captured in a recurring revenue model. And so because it is highly measurable and highly reliable, it is highly valuable, all right? And that's why, you know, I talked about a multiple of, uh, of profit being a value metric. Like we're selling some SaaS companies here at the moment based on a multiple of their revenue, not profit. You know, we're seeing ridiculous, um, you know, multiples and valuations for, for these types of companies out there, which is great. It's great for the owners. It's great for the business owners. That's, that's our mission is to help those people. Um, but it comes down to that consistency in the business model, the consistency of the revenue. The, the, the fact that it is highly measurable gives a sense of confidence to buyers and fundamentally reduces risk.
0: Yeah. Love it, May. Thanks for sharing that. And, and, definitely the reoccurring model, um, helps us in many ways to then budget and, and do other things to reinvest in the business too. Right. So
1: totally, totally.
0: Yeah. Really powerful. Um, so then obviously, you know, we've now, I guess, grown the business and we're, we're creating a, a business model that's, um, you know, great for us. And, you know, we're wanting to look at selling our business, right. Of course, um, you know, yep. at some point, um, and obviously, you know, we obviously, a lot of people say, start with the end in mind, you know, when we, when we start a business, we should be thinking, you know, about selling it and, and things like that. But I guess if, if we're wanting to prepare the business for sale, we should probably be doing some things before that for a period of time. So do you want yeah. to maybe touch on sort of, you know, the preparation for the sale, sort of how much time to correctly, you know, get a, a great, you know, valuation and, and, and sale amount at the end? Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so I'll talk timeline in a second, but I, I, you mentioned something just prior and, and maybe I didn't answer it as well, but you, you mentioned structure. And, um, and I think structure is really important. I, I've had clients who are you know, great businesses, turning over 30, 40 million bucks. Um, get, and, and they started from nothing, by the way. They've built it over many, many years. But then they get to the point where they want to exit and they realize that all the shares are owned in the wrong entities or they're owned in their own personal name. They're not structured effectively for tax. So imagine selling your company for 20 million bucks and you've got to give half of it to the tax man. I mean, how utterly disappointing that would be, right? So now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you, we've all got to pay our taxes and you've got to abide by the laws, but you also, it, it is incumbent upon you as a business owner to make smart decisions and try to um, deliver the best outcome for yourself and your shareholders and, and, and other stakeholders. So getting your structure right, not only protects your assets, but it also gives you a better, it's more tax effective, right? And that's one of the very very first steps um so uh, other than that i mean look you know we talked a little bit about some of the things you can do to build value but in terms of the timeline it it really does depend but but i do think one, one of the messages i'll say is people really underestimate sometimes how long it can take um and what do i mean by that well I get a lot of people that'll come to me saying, hey, Simon, can you guys do a business valuation for us? You know, we, and we do formal business valuations as well as kind of high-level appraisals for people and all that sort of stuff. And often they come because they're thinking of selling. But there's always, in many cases, an issue where they come into it thinking, I want... A million, two million, five million, ten million, <laughs> whatever the number is, right? It's the number they really want because it's going to help them move on to the next stage of their life. So let's say it's five million. And this, this, I'm, I'm channeling the thoughts around a particular client at the moment. But we, we assessed one client. His business was only worth about two million bucks, and he told me, "I need five million to be able to retire and do what I want to do." And so you've. That business owner has come to a critical junction now, right? It's a crossroad in their in their journey because he had the choice of either spending more time in the business and building it from 2 million in value up to the 5 million that he wanted, or he needed to accept that the business just wasn't worth what it was worth and continue to sell now and, and you know basically take what you can get for it, you know, maximize the value of it today. Um, of course, there is a little bit of an in-between, and that's actually what my client ended up doing. Um, I-, I encouraged him to go away and get some financial planning advice. Um, we gave him some f- a really good framework to think about what his number is or should be. Um, and in the end, he actually came back and did an assessment, and he came back and said, Simon, you know, I've realized, uh, having dug a bit deeper, I don't need $5 million. I could do it for three and a half." And so all of a sudden, that's a different prospect, right? Like that business, that business is now in reach. It's not, it's not this kind of astronomical number compared to where he is today. And so, like most things in business, you've got to work out what the end game is and then work backwards, right? So if your end game is, I want to sell my company, you need to allow for the fact that it'll probably take up to 12 months to sell that business. That's 12 months prepping, getting ready in the market, doing what you've got to do. There is potentially a 12-month period beforehand where you are simply tidying up, getting ready, um, you know, cleaning house, basically, right? And that's... For this guy um, who, who wanted to go from two million to three and a half, he actually needed a little extra than a year, right? It wasn't just about cleaning house. It was he, he had to actually achieve some growth. And so in the end, he needed a three-year plan to build the business to where he wanted it to be, and then allow a 12-month period to sell the business. There was no chance of him getting out realistically in, in less than four years. And, and I think for a lot of business owners, when they wake up and decide they want to get out, being told you need to hang around for another four years can be, quite soul-destroying, um, particularly if they really, really want to get out now. For others, it's not so much of an issue, right? But it's, it's, it's more the point of understanding and having that expectation of whether or not it's aligned with, with where you're wanting to go. Um, so my suggestion to all business owners is you work out what that end game wants to, is meant to look like. Um, and, and to do that, you need to assess three core things. What's the valuation you need? What's the amount of time that you're willing to keep doing what you're doing? Um, and I'll give you a little cross example here. I had another client who said to me, Simon, I need to retire in the next 18 months or my wife's going to kill me. (laughs) He was in his 70s. He just couldn't stop working. And and so he wasn't, I need to hit a certain valuation. He just said, the timing is more important to me. I need to get out by this date. So the question suddenly changed from how do we get to this particular valuation to how do we simply maximize the value in the time we've got, all right? And that's a very different approach, right? So the three things are valuation, Timing, and and I'm going to sort of loosely call legacy, which is, to me, in a really simple context, is how do people talk about you after you've left the room? <laughs> you know, because I get a lot of clients who say to me, "I love my my customers. I've they've been clients of mine for 40 years. I want to make sure they're looked after. I've got a great relationship with my suppliers. I love my employees. Like you don't want to wait to the last minute where you're inking a deal to start questioning. Well, how how is my exit going to impact those relationships? Now, maybe those relationships, that's not an issue to you. Maybe that's not a concern. Maybe you just feel like, hey, it's great. We've all done good business together and I don't owe anybody anything. Great, that's a nice position to be in. But a lot of people are surprised at how important those relationships are to them when they hit that point in time. So like everything I'm saying today, is don't wait to the last minute to think about these things. Kind of get in your head what that end game should look like. Then we start working back to work out a timeline of how to get you from point A to point B.
0: Yeah. Love it, mate. Really awesome value there. And I guess, you know, there's a lot of um, different, I guess, mistakes that people do and things like that when they're selling a business. So do you want to maybe share some of the, the critical key mistakes that, yeah, you see people doing?
1: Yeah. Look, and I'll share one that's that's probably even more relevant right now and over the last couple of years and realistically for the next three years as well. Um, it's people, there's a lot of activity going on at the moment, a lot of M&A activity. There's a lot of buyers with a lot of money who are tapping a lot of business owners on the shoulder and saying, hey, would you like to sell your company? We're interested, which is really nice. Like, if, as a business owner, like Ted said, I, I reckon it's one of the biggest ego pumpers that you'll ever get. You know, somebody taps you on the shoulder randomly and goes, we want to buy you. You're awesome. <laughs> the challenge, though, with that is that most business owners have never been through a business sale. They completely underestimate how challenging that process can be and how complex it can be. And what usually happens is they get tapped on the shoulder by somebody they kind of roughly know, maybe it's even a supplier or a customer or a competitor or whatever, they know of them, right? So there's kind of this quasi relationship there. And they, they hit it off. Oh yeah, this is great. This feels really good. Oh wow, you want to acquire me? And, you know, feeling pretty good about myself and you seem like a nice guy. And you know, this is great. Let's explore this. This is, this is really interesting. And so it starts off all friendly and nice and you get asked for financials and then you get asked for some more information and, hey, I'm going to get back to you in a couple of weeks and that turns into a month and you know, then we're going to ask you for some more information. Hey, my accountant wants some stuff now. And, oh, my lawyer's going to have to do a few checks. Well, that all sounds reasonable, right? But invariably what happens a lot is that that party continues to ask you for more and more and more and more information. And at some point on that journey, you start to feel a little bit like, ooh, that's they're starting to get into some fairly sensitive stuff here. Like, you know, okay, but, you know, this has been going now for four or five months. Like, you know, we must be getting close to the deal, you know? Like, so, okay, I don't want to lose it now. I'll give them the information. I'll give them more. I'll give them more. And then so many of these business owners kind of wake up one day, find themselves sitting in a boardroom, The original person they had that relationship is actually not even in the room anymore. And they're sitting across the table from a bunch of accountants and lawyers who are pretty much opening them up like a can of sardines, squeezing them for every little bit of information. And then right after sort of nine months of all this now negotiation and drama, they get lowballed. And you know what? This is actually corporate M&A 101. Like people actually employ this tactic to get better deals for themselves. And they're hoping the business owner is just so over it at that point that they'll just take the deal. And so underhanded, yeah, but business, right? That's how, that's how some people operate. Um, and look, and I will say, not everybody goes in there with an underhanded intent. It's not, I'm not saying that. Sometimes that situation I just described just evolves naturally, right? How, how many times has a big corporate, they're nine months into investigating you, and then suddenly a new CEO comes in, new strategy, sorry, all acquisitions are off the table. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to park this. We're not gonna be able to do it anymore you know what about all the promises that were made to me you know so this is one of the biggest issues i'm seeing at the moment because there's so many people getting tapped on the shoulder so my message here around that particular point is if you are going to go down the path of talking to an interested party don't just talk to one you're mad if there's only one girl at the dance, guess what? She knows she's the only girl at the dance and she's got all the power. <laughs> you, wanna, you, know, you wanna be able to have a few people on the dance floor here and have some options up your sleeve. And I can tell you all the work that you're gonna do for due diligence and all that investigation work, it's, it's actually really, really demanding. So if you're gonna prep all that information for one party, why wouldn't you invite others in? So it's, it's about what I'm saying to, most, to people is, if you're gonna sell your business, Don't just jump at the first opportunistic tap on the shoulder, decide what you wanna do, then build a really robust process around it and and put people through a process. So if you only remember one thing from my talk today, everybody, audience, I, I would say is this, if you're selling your business, if you don't put buyers through a robust process, they will put you through their process. And I guarantee you their process is designed to get them a better outcome, not you. So think about how you want to run this because once it's sold, it's gone. And, and if you don't get it right, it can be very, very costly.
0: Yeah. Awesome points there, Simon. Thanks for for sharing that. And I guess, you know, the other thing to think about as well is terms, right? Like it's not just selling the business, but what are the terms yeah. you know, that we're going to be doing there? So do you want to maybe share maybe a few key terms or something like that that we should be thinking about when we're negotiating, um, you know, when selling our company as well?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So a couple of quick things. N- never in your negotiation, don't ever separate the money and the terms, right? <laughs> They're intrinsically inv- uh, you know, linked. So money and terms are linked. Discuss it at the same time. The next thing I would say is, typically speaking, the payments or the consideration that you get for your business, you know, what you get paid, tends to come in one of or all of these three buckets. The first one is, of course, cash. Upfront, it's paid on settlement. You know, so what do I mean by settlement? Well, we do all our dance and negotiations and due diligence and bloody bloody blah. We finally get a contract. We... Sign and exchange the contracts, and then we'll have a settlement. And now sometimes we settle on the same day as when we're signing. Other times it might be a month down the track or whatever it might be, whatever's agreed in the in the deal. So there's exchange and then there's settlement or completion of the deal. Um, obviously, as a seller, you would like to get all your money on on completion, right? We've signed. You just pay me cash. I walk away. Or I agree to stay on and work for you for a year or whatever it might be, right? Second form of consideration is what we call a deferred payment or what other people might also call vendor finance. So in other words, Arthur, in this situation, um, I'm buying your business for a million bucks and I say to you, well, look, I'll give you half up front and half I'll give to you in 12 months' time. Or maybe I break it up into two annual payments over two years. You agreeing to come and stay on and work in the business for a year or two? Well, I'll, I'll pay you that money over a period of time purely to make sure, really, in my head as the buyer, that you're going to hang around and keep doing all the things that you promised that you're going to do. Now, that money is not at risk. I will say that. That money is not at risk. It's just simply like a loan. It's just simply a deferred payment. And as long as you keep turning up and doing the things that you said you're going to do, happy days, you get that money on the pre-agreed date, okay? So cash up front, deferred payments but not at risk. And then the third bucket is that, that term we've probably all heard of, is an, is an earn out, right? where the money is not just deferred, but it's actually at risk. Meaning if you don't achieve certain certain KPIs, if you don't achieve, you know, jump through the right hoops and achieve the certain goals, then that money, you may not get paid all of that money or you may not get paid that money at all. So for anybody who's uh, is, um, uh, interested in learning more about it, if you, if you jump onto the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast as well, you'll hear business owners talking about their own outs. Um, now some of them achieved all of it and were very very happy and they were, you know it was a great outcome but i had people who who literally will get on and say to you consider th- that you will never get the earn out money negotiate as if the earn out will never ever eventuate because in many cases it doesn't and i've actually even seen business owners walk away from the earn out because they hated the con- working conditions and they hated the environment and they just said keep the money i don't care i'm just i'm going over here now <laughs> so it's, it's a really important point here, right? Because you need to you know, think about what are the risks to you actually getting paid the money that we're talking about. Um, now, once again, um, if you go back to the things we were talking about in the beginning of this show about building the quality of your earnings, about reducing risk for buyers, then there's a really, really good chance that you can either not have an earn out at all or significantly reduce the impact of it or the terms. Um, But, and and this will be the final point because it's, you know, that's how the money comes, but you've got to be thinking about what you need to keep contributing here, both from an effort perspective, but a time perspective, right? Like I have some owners who just go, I am done. I'm done. I want out. I don't want to work any another day longer than I have to. So the prospect for them of sticking around and working for another three years and working for someone else is like their worst nightmare. Now, maybe for, you know, some people in the audience here, maybe it's not such an issue. They love their business. They want to see it transition well. They like the potential buyers. You know, that workout and transition period can be amazing and it can be really fulfilling and rewarding. But it's really, you've got to get to the heart of what's important to you as the business owner, as the, you know, as the, as the human behind this business and understand what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Um, and if you don't go in there with that kind of clear sort of thoughts, I mean, don't get me wrong. You will negotiate and kind of discover things along the way, but you know, you've got to kind of know what's important to you. Otherwise you may end up, you know, in a deal that you're not happy with.
0: Yeah. Awesome points made. And uh, yeah, great food for thought to make sure that we're uh, yeah exiting the right way that we want to as well. And, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, hear about um, all the awesome stuff that happens, but, you know, you touch a little bit on, you know, the issues like, you know, with those, those terms about not, um, you know, hitting those KPIs. So, do you want to maybe share um, a failure, you know, a, a big challenge or something that's happened uh, in your business or potentially a client's business and, and how it was overcome as well?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think there's lots of examples like that. Um, you know, the chap Rick Day that I was talking about was, was one example where he didn't get the outcome he wanted, right? Fabulous company, 26 million turnover. He, I, I, recall, I think he was doing about 3 million at the time in profit, maybe a bit more. Um, he... Ultimately, he got offered a little bit over a three-time multiple. Now, for a business of that size, um, and and in the space that he was in, and all the other things, I typically would expect a better deal than that. So, in other words, he lost value upfront, but he also had a chunk of his his consideration that was in that earnout bucket, and he didn't hit it. So he he ended up imagine thinking you're selling your business for a million bucks, but in the end, you only get seven hundred thousand because the other three hundred thousand just disappeared. Um, like that's that can be life altering right so I, I i really do think that's that's one massive example the other one too often is um we've in the past had you know in covid i guess it's probably an example of this too is we've had in the past where business owners are trying to sell and we start going down a path and i always say to my clients you've got to kind of treat me a little bit like your lawyer right You've got to tell me the whole story. I mean, if there's some bodies buried around here, you need to tell me because everything, and I mean everything, comes out in due diligence, right? So people will find out. They will dig the backyard up and find those bodies. (laughs) And so I'm a big believer in no surprises, right? You know, you want to get a deal done? Deals only get done between willing buyer and willing seller forming a lot of trust in a very short period of time. And so transparency and honesty is really important to that. And so if you, if you keep a few little secrets in the back closet and you don't tell people, and then they find out later, you know, trust is just completely broken. And so we've, we've seen in the past where, and not necessarily just from a dishonesty thing, but sometimes market conditions change and the deal doesn't go through. So here's this business owner embarking on a journey and they're thinking they're going to get out. And then in, in one case, we had a client, COVID hit and 70% of their business got wiped out. And so and, and I, we have to turn around to that client and say, look, I'm, I'm really so sorry that this is happening to you, but we can't achieve the same valuation we thought coming into this because the market conditions are so radically different that we, we just don't believe we can get that outcome. And so in the end, we had that client, he actually parked the business, he went off, he had to get through this recovery period, get the business back to where it was, and then we would start the process again. Um, you know. And, and, and just you know that's that can be a disappointing outcome for people of course you know you've got a certain expectation of when you're going to exit and maybe in some ways you're already moving on and thinking about that holiday and your wife's getting excited and or your partner um so yeah look i think i think that's that's i think what's what is uh what is a disappointing outcome i think it's when reality doesn't meet your expectations right and so we need to be assessing what our expectations are they reasonable and what are the risks that won't happen and you know, I think if you're using that kind of framework and that kind of model, then you're, you're less likely to have major problems.
0: Yeah, love it, mate. So awesome and so much value um, being shared today. And um, I guess as we're wrapping up, um, you know, what one key piece of advice um, would you give to all the entrepreneurs uh, watching and listening today?
1: Look, I think, and ho- hopefully this has already come through in what I've said, but it's, it's, it's work with the end in mind. But I think if most people I think, understand this concept of if you want to get somewhere, you need to kind of work out what the goal is and then work backwards to understand what steps you take today to achieve the big goal. You know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, it's one bite at a time, right? So, you know, you need to understand what those little bite-sized chunks are that you're doing day on day, week on week, month on month, so that you're fundamentally layering value into your business and into your journey. So I just think you need to get clear, and, and, and that end game is not all about what I'll call vanity metrics, right? It's not all about just saying, oh, well, I turn over 10 million bucks just so you can tell some mates do you turn over 10 million. In the end, no one really cares. Um, so what, what's important to you as, a, as the human, right? I, I fundamentally believe we're not born to run businesses and born to do all that stuff. We are born to live our life. And our business should simply be a vehicle for delivering us the life we want. So the biggest question here is, what do you want for your life? Get clear on that. And then we can work backwards and get a business to to drive you there.
0: Yeah. Love it, mate. So true. Um, Amazing stuff there. And yeah, we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from, yeah, your 20 years experience in the finance, investment, and energy technology centers to having started board exited companies to now being the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, where you help business owners understand how to maximize company value and capture the rewards they deserve after being in business themselves. You're an awesome guy. I'm sure everyone will agree. And, and I'm sure we continue to help um, entrepreneurs have a very successful business exits. Um, I'm very grateful that we connected and I, I look forward to working with you in the future. So Simon, how can uh, people find you, you and get in contact with you?
1: Oh, well, first of all, Ethan, thank you. I really appreciate the very kind words and it's been lovely getting to know you as well. And I'm glad I could come on the show and hopefully contribute some value to your audience. Um, you know, I know you're out there with a similar mission to help people and that's, you know, that's what it's really about in the end, isn't it? So um, so thank you for the opportunity and thanks for, for letting me come on the show. Um, if anyone would like to reach out to me, look, LinkedIn is your friend in these things. Um, the only thing I would ask of you, like, please send me a connection request. I'm totally cool to receive connection requests, you know, even if we haven't met. The only thing I would ask is please just put a little message to your connection request and just say, you know, Hey, Simon, I heard you on the business growth show, you know, or I heard, heard you talking to Athens, you know, something like that. So I know where you're coming from, because if I know that you're an audience from this podcast, I will happily connect with you and happily answer any questions you've got. Um, of course you can go to exitadvisorygroup.com.au if you want to see more about what exit advisory group does, but look, Happy to LinkedIn's great, right? It's just a great way. I'm I'm a believer that we we people do business with people. Um so if, yeah, if you want to reach out and connect with me, I'd very, very, you know, welcome welcome all connections from all people.
0: Yeah, love it. Uh, Definitely, uh, yeah, connect with Simon. He's an awesome guy. So much value and uh, be able to share with with everybody. Amazing stuff. And and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. Please like, subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube as Cassiotis, or visit my website, AthenCassiotis.com. I completely agree with you or do I? The only way you know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows where we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.